I really am a believer in the difference between significance and success. You know, I've been incredibly successful in my career with assignments, with crews, with opportunities, um, a beautiful wife, kids, family, the whole bit. My my life has been incredibly successful, but I really try strive to be significant, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the reason for that is that, you know, success, success lasts your lifetime, but significance lasts for generations. everybody to the kitchen table. In this podcast, we sit down with leaders from across the country to talk all things leadership. We call it the kitchen table because we know some of the best conversations at the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. I'm your host, Berlin Mazza, and of course, Deputy Fire Chief Bill Mack is with us today. Morning, Bill. Morning, Berlin. Staying, trying to stay warm here up in the Northwest. It's been cold. Oh my gosh. So. Yeah, we... Uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it. We're in the middle of Academy right now and couldn't flow any water because uh, we did charge the lines and uh, the lines all froze. So we had to immediately shut that down. But today we are excited to have our first guest speaker from the Kitchen Tables Leadership Challenge. We're excited to have Battalion Chief Brett Loomis from Corvallis, Oregon. Chief Loomis has been in the fire service for 35 years, started as a volunteer with his hometown fire department in Pacific Grove, California. He invested 25 years with Salinas Fire Department, starting as a firefighter, driver operator, captain, battalion chief, and holding the rank of deputy fire chief of operations for four years. Chief Loomis relocated in or- to Oregon in 2019, where he now serves as a shift battalion chief in Corvallis, Oregon. Brett has a master's degree in public administration and a bachelor's degree in fire administration. He travels throughout the U.S. with trainedfirefighters.com, teaching mastering fire ground command, Calm the Chaos, Unified Command, Leadership, and Mastering the Fire Service Assessment Center. Chief Loomis has been married to the love of his life for 28 years, Michelle. They have two adult children and two grandchildren. Chief Loomis, thank you so much for uh, being a guest on our show today. How are you? Berlin, thanks. I'm, I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And uh, you heard me mention, we do have this leadership challenge here on the kitchen table. So you are the first speaker to take us up on our on the leadership challenge, obviously from Chief Anthony Castros. So first of all, thank you for that. But why don't we start off with this? It's obviously a busy time, Bill. You had mentioned academies. You know, right now we're in the middle of academy. I think we're in week three of our academy. Busy. It's it's freezing cold up here in the Pacific Northwest. But uh, why don't we start with with you, Bill? How's it How's it all going up there? Well, I think the last few episodes we've been talking about the NFL, and uh, unfortunately, I'm in my morning period in my life where football's over. You know, I'm I'm watching golf on the weekends, uh, wanting to play. But you're right, man. Uh, now the work's really happening. We just rec- in Pierce County, Washington. We just uh, graduated an academy. We had another academy start. Um, kind of record numbers of hires up here. We've have two lateral academies going on. So uh, yeah, a lot of work going. I think the last academy we had 70 and then when we just started two weeks ago 59 so i mean it's a question to you bill or, or chief loomis i mean is you have the same numbers down there and when are they going to slow down are these numbers are these the new norms 
Well, I, unfortunately, it is the new norm. Our, we're a little bit smaller in our uh, our academy. We just graduated a recruit academy of five. Of, I'm sorry, a lateral academy of five. The first one in the history of Corvallis. Um, and it was a joint venture uh, between Local 2240 and, and our management team to to try to get some people that could hit the ground running a little bit sooner. Um, all while we have six probationary members who are going through their probation currently. And we're, we're picking up an Academy of 11 mm-hmm. starting March 16th and expecting to turn right around as soon as they graduate in July with another career Academy of six and trying to squeeze in a volunteer Academy. So it's not new anywhere. It's yeah. uh, it's happening all over the place. I've, I've got medic units um, at my downtown station on my shift where I have two probationary firefighter paramedics wow. running the medic unit. And uh, that's a challenge because we got to get them their training and their sign-offs, but we're asking them to go out and perform like career veteran firefighters. And, and it's a, uh, we're working through that cultural shift for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we've, we've talked a lot about that on this podcast about not only is it hiring a lot of people, but then it's how young our workforce is. Yes. And Berlin's heard me talk say this you know we have at east pierce we have about 180 firefighters and you know i have over about half my staff has less than five years of experience on so we have the same thing you know we have a medic unit riding around with a two-year guy as the senior medic and you know a a new probationary firefighter And, and it's it really is an issue and i think that's one of the key elements when we talk about leadership and is uh just thinking about how young our workforce is you know, we lose a lot of those connections. I don't know how it is down there, but we have a lot of people who come from out of the area even to to test. And so they're not even connected with our communities. They're from California or from Oregon or from you know other parts of Washington um, in our hire. So they don't know our cities. They don't know any of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. so let's, uh, let's go with this. So Chief Loomis, first of all, thank you again for joining us on the show. But before we get going... Do you mind spending a little time talking to the audience today, our listeners, a little bit about Brett Loomis? Yeah. So, um, you know, fellas, I'm, I'm living my dream. Um, I've wanted to be a firefighter since I was four years old. Um, just uh, it, it's been in my DNA. My my uncle was a firefighter for what was then CDF, now Cal Fire. Um his grandfather was a CDF firefighter. And um, it, it's just it's just something I it's. I've always wanted to do. And um, I was so driven, you know, talking about football, I was so driven to want to be a firefighter at a young age that I bypassed playing football for my high school football team because I didn't want to get hurt and possibly not be able to be a firefighter. And uh, me and my best friend, who was the son of the local fire chief, uh, my hometown, we started an explorer program in my hometown fire department, Pacific Grove, when I was 15 years old, because I was that driven to, um, to serve and to have that calling. And then straight out of high school, as soon as I turned 18, became a full-fledged volunteer, went to my first working fire seven days after I got voted in as a volunteer member of the organization. And, and I was, I was sold. Wow. I was sold. So, um, yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, met, awesome. uh, it's just, it's been, it's been an incredible, incredible experience. So trainfirefighters.com. So uh, most of your listeners here have either visited trainfirefighters.com or taken a class by yourself or Chief Anthony Cashos or your cadre. But tell us a little bit about the successes uh, from where it began and where it is today. 
Yeah. So, you know, Andoni had, uh, as a young battalion chief, we got promoted uh, about the same time, him in uh, Sacramento Metro and me in uh, Salinas, California, to battalion chief in 2005. And he had a he had a horrible fire. Um, father and two uh, young children uh, died in this apartment fire. And, uh, you know, he'll it, to this day, it affects him. And that was the catalyst for building calm the chaos um and he he delivered it solely on his own um for many many years and i was i was blessed and honored that um he invited me to join his company um i was the first one that he trusted to uh take his product and deliver it and i was I, I couldn't have been happier. Um, I'm a believer in being significant in the lives of others versus successful for myself and being able to reach out and touch members of the fire service and share my strengths, my weaknesses, where, where I failed, where I've learned um, has just, has just been such a blessing for me and for my family. Um, I can't thank my family enough for supporting me between shift work, overtime, <laughs> wildfires, and then, oh, yeah, I'm going to be gone for a week teaching. Um, it takes a, certainly a very strong uh, spouse who I have and uh, very understanding kids. So Absolutely. Chief Castro is coming to my department. I've taken his online classes. I'm sure um, you were in the background at one of the, the the online webinars, if you will. I know you guys do yep. the, uh, the, uh, the command show. Yep. I've done a bunch of the leadership labs, the fire module labs. How many firefighters or departments would you say you guys have uh, – you know, positively impacted. I could, I could easily tell you that we have probably, we've impacted thousands of firefighters, you know, whether it's directly when they're sitting in one of our classes or indirectly because of the messages that they're able to carry, you know, to others or the leadership traits and instincts that we try to instill and, and those leaders take them and carry them on. Um, You know, hundreds of departments. Uh, We just came back from Miami, Florida uh, in January, uh, delivering our train the trainer program. Plus chief Castro's did a, um, executive team building exercise with all of their chief officers. Um, it's, it's, it really is at the DNA level of, you know, firefighting. And, um, we were so, we were so honored. We were at the, we were at the airport, uh, the next day. And one of our, uh, one of our students from the train, the trainer class, literally three hours after the class ended, he and his two uh, firefighters on their, uh, transport medic unit uh made a double save out of a house fire and he told us he said before i went to your class i would have not moved at the pace that you drove us in the class i would have not focused on the high and confirmed victim profile the way that you taught us and we know that those two those two people in that house are alive today because of that captain's dedication and drive uh to learn and grow Mm -hmm. and we're honored to be able to to be able to influence people like that. You know, some departments, uh, you know, won't have, you know, in necessarily internal programs, whether it be because, you know, they won't have internal leadership programs or, you know, whether it be tactics training or, you know, something like calm the chaos, something like that. And so talk about the need of having outside organizations like yours, right? Yours and chief, right. and chief yeah. firefighters. Cause like you said, that talk about the instant, uh, the instant impact, if you will, from, you know, the class and the people you influence, uh, you know, throughout, throughout the, throughout the nation now are you guys nationwide globally too or right now we're just inside the united states we've had uh, some good conversations and with some of our online programs are are in some organizations in canada um uh, we uh 
the um, uh, Mariana Islands, the um, Commonwealth there reached out to us about bringing some curriculum down. We've got a proposal in with them and we're trying to figure out if uh, we can, we're able to make that work. You know, that's a, that's a long haul, which, you know, translates to sometimes a budget impact. So mm-hmm. uh, we're working through trying to make it, uh, trying to make it work. The the thing that we pride ourselves on is, you know, we have some of the package things, right? The training, the trainer, the mastering, the assessment center, the online. But if an organization were to call us and describe a specific problem they're having, um, we'll, we'll formulate something for them. Yeah. Uh, to help them work through uh, early on um, there uh, near SeaTac, Kent, Washington yeah. was talking about doing um, some mergers. And I think that has been successful over the years. We were there in the very beginning, helping them work through some leadership, you know, some labor and management leadership uh, discussions. And we brought in the other um, agencies that were potentially going to be merged. And there's always hesitation, right? What's the badge going to look like? What's the patch going to say? What are we going to call ourselves? We don't want to lose our identity. And we help facilitate that with a number of those regional uh, entities. And it sounds like that merger went through very successfully and they're doing really good work down there in the Kent area. So we'll, we'll, We'll design and provide whatever we can for whatever organization needs our help. Yeah. So I love the title of today. The title that you gave for today was 50,000 Shades of Leadership. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to unpack that for us. (laughs) Well, it says only 15 or 20 minutes. I don't know how much I can unpack. (laughs) No, you Um, can uh, go as long as you want. No, no. But, you know, it's funny. Over the years, right? I've kept notes and things on different, different anecdotes, different situations I've encountered. And, you know, and, and I'm sure Chief Mack um, can attest to this. Sometimes you just look at, look at your organization and go, how did you even think that that was the right way to do that? You know, so the the funny stories, the you know, the heartwarming stories, the funny stories, the ones that just make you shake your head. And one of the things that I've learned um, in my career is that I have so in Corvallis, for example, I have seventeen people on duty every day. That's seventeen different ways that I have to lead. That's seventeen different ways that I need to approach somebody. Now I can set organizational expectations. I can set shift expectations, which I do. Um, and I can have just very informal discussions on any one of a number of things, but I have to, as a leader, not just I, we have to know what's going on with the people that we're leading. And even when we think we know it's really only the tip of the iceberg. Right. And so you have to know what the timing is for your approach. How are you going to approach? Sometimes it's very authoritarian. You know, sometimes it's like, almost it's like, take the badge off. And I've had a couple of those conversations where it's like, look, this isn't Chief Loomis to Firefighter X. This is longtime Firefighter Brett with short-term Firefighter X. You are messing things up. And this is how it's happening. Bam, 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 bam. Um, some people you have to be very careful because they've been so beaten down over the years, right. From just such a stringent management style or leadership style, or just 
held down or not validated for the work they do or you not recognizing the baggage that they bring. So when you go and talk to them, it might be an immediate, immediate tears, right? So it's remembering to constantly reinforce the good, gently ease into this is the behavioral change we need, reinforce the good. Um, Some people, they're just like, chief, just give to me straight. If I screwed up, I want to know I screwed up and I'll fix it and never happen again. So there's just so many avenues. And that's just in, inside the organization. And that, I'm talking about leadership down. There's leadership up. I got promoted to chief officer in California uh, just about a year and a half after my current chief and deputy chief started as career firefighters. So I obviously have a significant amount of chief officer experience. and. I want to be really cognizant of that because I don't want it to come off like I know everything. I don't want it to come off like I'm trying to lecture people or anything else. So really being careful about picking my words and not saying things like, well, in California, we did it like this, you know, that's, that turns people off. So, you know, things like, and they, they both gave me this feedback early on because, you know, I would listen a lot and then I would say, would it be okay if I offered an opinion or an experience? You know, I always kind of asked the question instead of just saying, well, in California, we did this or whatever the case is. And it helped it be very non-confrontational and non, I'm on a different level, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's leadership up. There's leadership, you know, as a mid-level manager, as a battalion chief, there's leadership across the street. You know, when I say across the street, city hall. Right. Absolutely. You know, there's human resources, there's legal, there's finance, there's the city manager's office. You're, you're doing work with them and, and understanding how they operate. Um, and ultimately it's Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how you deliver the message to them when you're seeing them on their worst day. And so that's, uh, you know, kind of unpackaging the 50, 50,000 shades of leadership. We are presented with, hundreds mm-hmm. of different leadership opportunities on any given day, whether it's with our family, whether we're on duty, del- you know, delivering the mission or whatever. And um, that's, that's kind of where 50,000 shades of leadership came from. I wanted to pause real quick. I know you still have probably 49,000 shades to go over. Um, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but a, cu- a couple of things that you said that I really want to pause on, because I think they're super important. And I know that, um, you know, we've talked about them in the past. One is this whole idea of flexibility of leadership, you know, that you yeah. have to treat each employee a little bit different. You know, all three of us are our fathers. You know, I know yeah. I have three, three boys and raising them, all three of them uh, took I should say not the word criticism, but they took, you know, counseling differently. If I, if I wanted to guide or direct them, you know, one of them, you had to be a lot more stern. The other one, you could just look at the other one, you know, you had to be more cerebral and tell them the why. And I think that's a really good point as leaders that um, you have to find what works and it's not just what works for your leadership style. It also works from the receiving end, you know, what works for that person who's receiving it. And everyone has a different motivation to there. And then the other part in there I wanted to touch on was just the honesty of leadership. You know, we've talked about in the past that how many times have we gone to an after action review of of an incident and, you know, someone stands up in front of the room and there's, you know, maybe a dozen people in the room and they're like, Hey, the fire went out. No one got hurt. Everyone high five. And people who are there who are at the call, 
know that you know you kind of didn't do that well really if you if you boiled it down some of the tactics you might yeah. have used you know that you probably could have contained the fire to the room of origin and it, it got into the attic because of actions that you took things happen on that call that probably aren't right and so you lose a lot of credibility as a leader when you just sugarcoat things you know i'm not saying publicly you know, come out and yell at everybody. But I do think that you, that people respect honesty and our um, employees, our firefighters, our boots on the ground really respect when you come out and say, look, let's be better next time. Yep. Um, you know, it's that, it's that coaching uh, side of it. You know, the dad side is, is the guiding, but the coaching side is correcting and, uh, and counseling. Um, so I really like those two elements out of there. I know, I know you have more in there though. And Chief, you know, I, I love I love that you're you're canning it in, in that way. It's it's great. And one of the things that has served me very well when I'm doing a after action just on the bumper after a job or you know even around the station is I will always open with something that I could have improved on. I I will open it that way um, because I want I want my people to know that I'm not infallible either. And when I, when I open it up and say, Hey, this, 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 and this happened, I was responsible for these things. I didn't manage that as well as I needed to in the future. I'm going to try X, Y, and Z. And when I do that, it really lessens the tension, right? They feel more Mm -hmm. comfortable about saying, Hey, you know what? And in my experience, I mean, they'll start off immediately with, yeah, I could have, I mean, I even had a firefighter, you know, 10-year firefighter who said, you know what? I had a problem at the plug. It took me a while to get that get that water supply established and that wasted precious seconds. And next shift, I'm going out to the tower with my company because I don't want that to ever happen again. Um, so th- it's been really successful. Mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. We, yeah. we actually had a guest speaker that his whole topic was talking about being vulnerable as a leader. And, you know, yeah. we're all going to be making mistakes and fail at times, are we going to admit to our mistakes to be better? Or are we going to hide behind those mistakes? And, you know, cause you know, uh, you know, one can get exposed because of that. But a question I have to move forward is, you know, as we sit and talk about, you know, programs now today, we talk about the kitchen table, you know, podcast, but I'm curious on what kind of leadership training did you receive earlier in your career uh, before you got to the stage or level that you're at? Um, you know, I'm going to start even before my career. Um, and, um, I'm going to talk about my parents and my grandparents. Uh, my mom was a nurse. Um, and at a very young age, she became a nurse manager. So back then it was called the recovery room. Uh, for those of you that are in medicine now, it's called post anesthesia care. Um, and then, um, the hospital that she worked at asked her to take on a second unit. She was the first manager to manage two units and then a third unit and then eventually a fourth unit. And she was always the trailblazer there. Um, My father uh, was uh, a Navy man, worked on uh, P3 Orions out of the Moffat Naval Air Station and um, worked two jobs to help bring money in. Uh, My grandfather was a World War II veteran who survived as a turret gunner in a B-24 in the European theater. Um, And they taught, I'm a Gen Xer by date of birth, but I really, um, I take on a lot more qualities of a baby boomer. You know, I do live to work. You know, you know, the fire service is who I am. It's not just what I do. And sometimes that's hurt me a little bit, but that's who I am. 
Um, So that's really where it started. And some of my, I remember my mom's employees at recognition, you know, luncheons and things. Many of them came to me and said, your mom is the best boss I've ever had in my life. And I always, um, I lost her a few years ago to Alzheimer's. um, But those words have always stuck with me. And I've always tried to take that. And I always try to make sure that the people who are important to me, the people who have mentored me, the people um, who have been influential in my life, know how I feel about how positively they've impacted me impacted me because those words that those nurses shared with me when I was a teenager have just stuck with me. I've been blessed with some really good bosses over the years, but I looking back, if I had one thing that I wish for the most in the fire service is I wished I had a mentor that would have taken the time to have some of the crucial conversations with me when I was a young firefighter. Um, I, um, you know, I was a young cocky firefighter and you know, it was it wasn't anything for me to say. You know what? If nothing changes around this department in the twenty years it takes me to become a chief, damn it! When I become a chief, things are going to change, and that drove a lot of people away. And I wished I had a mentor who would have, instead of just ignoring me, who would have taken me under their wing and said, "You're pissing people off, mm-hmm. and you're going to need those people someday." So yeah, that's uh, you know. Formal leadership training, no. Informal training and making mistakes and tripping and falling and landing on my face and getting up and dusting myself off. Um, It really wasn't until, you know, I was really looking to uh, promote up through the ranks where I started, you know, taking all the command classes and the management classes, but nobody ever called it leadership, Mm -hmm. right? They just, they just didn't. And I'm here to tell, I shouldn't say tell, I'm here to share with everyone what I've learned is that, we do an amazing job training our firefighters, right? You're, we're talking about academies. We teach them how to pull hose. We teach them how to wrap a plug. We teach them how to throw ladders, innovate people, defibrillate, all of this stuff, right? But really, emergency responses is what? Less than 10% of what we do. Mm-hmm. But 100% of the time, we deal with people. But we do no training at all at any level of the organization that teaches people how to have communication skills, Mm -hmm. that teaches people how to assess themselves in a situation. We don't give those tools. And that's where as a leader, and sometimes I have to put on my manager hat, I call it flexing my bugles, right? Sometimes you've got to go down the hard path of that formal discipline and those types of things, but nobody, and, and that's where people get in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if any of you have, if any of you have taken training from the career survival group out of Southern California, Oh, they were up here yesterday. That's yep. great. And I, I taken their class and it's amazing. What do they say? A firefighter or a police officer is a hundred times more likely to lose their career than be killed in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and really uh, is. well, we've had Chief Castro's quote to that, and Bill loves it is, you know, you can lose your life on the fire ground, but you can lose your career in the firehouse. And yeah. like you just said, that statement, yeah, we had the, the career survival group here. We're in Kent, Washington, and uh, they were here at the train division. 
I don't even know what day today. Friday, they were here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all this week doing the uh, four-hour survival course. Um, But I think it's totally awesome. And I'm going to – we already have a hot topic for later, but it's a semi-hot topic, which I'll ask the question now is you mentioned it, and we talked about it on this podcast. As you're right, we do teach people how to wrap a plug. We teach people how to to load hose. We don't teach people necessarily the the, the soft skills of this job, which we know it's 100% building relationships, interacting and working with each other as human beings. So I guess the hot topic question that I have, which is separate from our actual hot topic later is where does that fit in, you know, the fire department training? It doesn't exist, but we recognize, I think all three of us would recognize we need that. Where does it fit and when does it start becoming a normal to start having that be a part of our trainings? I think it starts from day one. I mean, it really needs, I mean, it even starts before day one. I mean, it's, it needs to start in our recruitment, our retention. It needs to start in our testing processes and we need to be emulating those things. Um, you know, Erlen, I, I, I don't want to age myself too much, but Chief Mack will, will know this. I like to tell everybody that, um, or share with everybody that we can get through nearly everything we encounter in human interaction by remembering what Captain Kangaroo taught us, right? And Captain Kangaroo taught us how to say please, how to say thank you, how to sincerely say you're sorry, and how to admit when you've made a mistake, right? Absolutely. And, And we sometimes forget those things. One of my favorite books is Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, right? We don't hit people. We don't take people's toys. those types of things. Um, But that's, so we need to be emulating that on the drill grounds. Okay. Uh, We need to be emulating that when they show up. I mean, we need to be standing up and going and shaking a person's hand and saying, welcome to Corvallis Fire Department. Welcome welcome to South King County. Welcome to East Pierce County. Um, One of my mentors, uh, and he's my best friend, uh, one of my best friends to this day. When I showed up for my first day on the job, I was scared to death. I was getting assigned to the East Salinas Fire Station. It was a two-company house, super busy, lots of fires, lots of knife and gun trauma. I walk in, and everybody else just looked at me and like, okay, here we go, another probie. He got up from the kitchen table. He walked over and shook my hand, and he said, hey, my name is Dave Hernandez. Welcome to Fire Station 4. Let me show you where to put your stuff. Let me show you where your bed's going to be. Let me show you where your locker's going to be. You stick with me and I'm going to teach you everything. And that action has rung to me in the, to this day that we have to show them. We have to teach everybody that you, you're included mm-hmm. and we have to treat them with dignity and respect in the workplace. And we have to emulate how we want them to behave. Absolutely. Oh, and, I love it. And I think you're hit on something really, really good to talk about. We talk about it a lot is making connections, right? I mean, yeah. people are way more, organizations are way more resilient when you make connections, you know, when there's connections to, to our, our organizations and when you can make connections with each other, you know, people are going to stay with your organization. They're going to be true to your organization. I mean, that's another change that we're seeing is that if you don't make connections with people, they're going to go try something else or they're going to do something right. else or they're not going to be a valued employee. And so you have to make those connections. And that's what, you know, that's what Hernandez did with you is he made that initial connection with you and you were probably loyal to him. You know, you probably, if yep. you were to bid to a shift to work with someone, that's the guy you want to work with. You to know, this day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to this day, he, he's your buddy. I mean, he's yep. that, he's that person. So, well, and in, in addition to that, you probably, and 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Chief, is uh, you probably are that same person to the the next people as well now because of that one experience from from Hernan. So yeah, I think that's that's super important, and uh, we talked about this on the podcast as well. We could we we all have the potential to be leaders, no matter what rank we are, no matter how much you know, tenure we have in the fire service, we could be good leaders and we could be bad leaders, right? We could be positively impactful as leaders. We could be negatively impactful as leaders. And in that case where you mentioned with uh, Chief Hernandez, Captain Hernandez, I want to make sure I get his name right. Um, so he retired as an engineer and he was engineer. actually my engineer. There you go. <laughs> so Engineer Hernandez had that positive impact on you that obviously carried along for decades, not yep. just months or years. That's right. And, and so going back a little bit, to something you hit, you know, the other thing that's different in the fire service is, you know, we could rely, and this is going to sound like, again, me being a little bit old, um, but like in my example, same as your example, my dad was career, career army, right? 40 plus yep. years in the army. Um, he was a very, you know, black and white type of a person. Things were either black and white, right or wrong, you know, cause or effect. That's the way he always believed. He never was in that gray area um, in the way he thought about life. And he instilled, you know, those skills of being polite and customer service and being a team player and jumping in and taking care of stuff when it needed to be done with me. And so when I came into the fire service, I kind of had that naturally in the way I was brought up, just like you did. And so, you know, there was less of a need for some of that, that early, I shouldn't say lower level or the basic leadership skills. But again, now with our new employees that are coming in, I mean, look what's happened in the world with things like customer service and being nice to each other and understanding each other and being inclusive and all those things. A lot of those skills aren't out there in the general population anymore, and they now need to be learned. And kind of going back to what you talked about earlier, you know, we as leaders who have been there have to figure out a way of downloading that information and getting into our newer employees so they are more resilient and, you know, understanding and inclusive and all of those thoughts. Yeah, I love it. Just to follow up really briefly on the question about, you know, when do we ingrain that? If you look back a number of years, it was Long Beach Fire Department in California. Uh, They had a, uh, they had a civilian, I don't remember if he was a contractor or an actual employee. His name was Dr. Resurrection. That was his last name. And I'm probably, um, I'm I'm mispronouncing it a little bit because uh, I know there was an accent mark in there somewhere. But they recognized early on uh, about the generation of firefighters that we were hiring that did not know how to change oil in their car, mm-hmm. did not know about how to use simple hand tools or what a simple hand tool was. If you told somebody gooey the claw hammer, they'd be like, what's that? What's a ball peen hammer? So they they did a lot of work with restructuring their academy. And I, I want to say it was maybe the first two weeks where they didn't talk fire at all. Mm-hmm. They talked about, this is a Phillips screwdriver. This is a claw hammer. This is a, uh, this is a saw. This is a hacksaw. The, you know, they went through those things and they made them, they actually had them do some basic construction with not power tools, with hand tools. Um, they had them change oil in their car. They said, go get these items, you know, whatever the case is. But really starting at that level to recognize that there are foundational components that we need from our new employees that they recognize that we weren't getting out of the new employee pool. So mm-hmm. what do we have to do? We have to train them. And, and, you, that's, and that's what they did. 
is this is this what your department currently does or what, what department is this no it was uh, long beach california and it was a number of years ago it's not recent um wow. and i don't i don't know how they've changed or restructured um but that was one of the classes actually yeah. um, at yeah. that fresno training symposium that i mentioned earlier um yeah. is is they came and they shared hey this is how we're running That's our awesome. training division yeah it was great that, I mean, that is great. We talk, uh, I mean, obviously what I'm about to say is, is not a new term or phrase by any means to any of us here is the fire service is about, you know, we don't necessarily like the, thing, the way things are, but we also dislike change as well. So how do you make motions or, you know, change? But I think that's awesome. And I'm going to pick your brain a little bit further on that because, uh, because we do have an opportunity, right? I mean, every day is an opportunity if, you know, to, to incorporate what, what you say is when do we ingrain some of these, you know, soft skills or training, you know, now, yesterday, right? Not just tomorrow, but, but right, right now, maybe uh, start incorporating some of these things early. I love the concept of what you just said, you know, maybe during a pre-academy or even the first week of academy, doing something like getting recruits yep. out and let's go change our oil. Here's a, here's a toolbox. Let's go through every single one of these, right? Like, I love this. And, uh, <laughs> I think we're going to talk more about sure. this outside this podcast because I love yeah. the ideas, right? This is a big yeah. think tank. I mean, so every – in- I'm sorry. I, Berlin, I think you were there on the drill ground back in the academy days when I told the recruit to start a chainsaw and they looked yes. at me like – I mean, and yes. I was like looking at you like, what's going on here, man? You can't <laughs> and, start a chainsaw. Well, and it was between the, the – yeah. No, absolutely. Like, and that's – that is it's, – it's my generation, right? Like I like I am a millennial. I'm, you know, I'm proud of it. I'm ashamed of it and I'm proud of it, right? Um, but that's okay. Is is we, we are there, right? We just taught EVIP training, like right right, right before I uh, logged on here. We taught EVIP and we're, we get – it's the more and more. It's like how many of you individuals, you know, have ever driven, you know, a stick shift? And some people are like, what do you mean a stick shift, right? How many yeah. of you have driven a vehicle bigger than a Toyota Camry? And you got you got more people driving Camrys and smaller than you have people that ever driven a rig bigger than a you know a sedan. But that's at the end of the day, it's not something that you control. It is it simply is what it is, right? And so if we continue to just do the things that we've always done, even from 30 years ago, there's going to be more and more challenges. So I love this, and we're going to talk further on that. So um, we always talk perspective, chief. And perspective yes. is huge, right? Perspective is what gives us the ability to understand, sympathize, empathize, um, you know, a story from someone else or to understand, you know, where someone comes from. But you've come from, you know, you worked, uh, you know, career and volunteer, you know, from a department in California. You're in Oregon now. You know, we talk about uncomfortable, right? And uh, being and being comfortable. Um, you know, a lot of our, a lot of the times you get better when you get uncomfortable. So, would Chief Loomis be Chief Loomis if he hadn't put himself in positions where he was uncomfortable? You've worked in multiple departments and multiple ranks. I'm sure there's been times where you've sat on the first day at a new position and gone, WTF did I do kind of a deal. Um, so talk to us. Would Chief Loomis be where he is today if he hadn't been uncomfortable at some point? No, not at all. Um, the the willing, I'm a very conservative person by, by nature, by human nature. And, um, the the departure from Salinas to come to Oregon, that was so outside of what Brett Loomis and Michelle Loomis had would have even considered. And you know, I, I came to Oregon because um, I had been offered a job um, as the operations chief in Salem. And um, I was only there for a few months. I wasn't there very long. It, 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 it wasn't the right fit. And, you know, I've, I've always kind of sat on this article a little bit about how would I write this about having the courage to fail? Because at the end of that short tenure in Salem, um, 
my wife and I were seriously talking about whether or not the fire service was for us anymore. And um, I have a really good friend who gave me an opportunity to do some contract work as a deputy chief for a couple of months. And that helped me recognize that, no, I've still got the fire in me, and it, I, but I want to be able to leave the fire service on my terms. And Corvallis just happened to come up, and Chief Castros will say, again, a man you know, so grounded in faith, I'm in awe of it, um, that you know, God had a plan. You know, I, would I have left Salinas to come be a shift battalion chief in Corvallis, Oregon? Probably not, right? But it, God brought me to Salem where I was not successful, and that's okay, and I've been able to make peace with that because I'm in Corvallis now. And my favorite position in the fire service is shift BC, right? Awesome. It's, I, I, am, I am the happiest with the least amount of stressful impact that I've ever had in my career. And I, I love it. I yeah. absolutely love it. So that's, uh, that's amazing. So uh, just to take it even just a step above that, yeah. talk to the listeners, if you will, inspire them, motivate them, tell them the reasons they should be uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, the number one bullet, and I just talked about it, do not be afraid to make a mistake. You will make a lot of mistakes. It's as important about how you learn and how you recover from the mistake. And I'm here to tell you, you know, and I've had, I've had a pa- package to me a number of different ways. Have I had complaints filed against me? Yes. Um, have I been investigated? Yes. Have I been exonerated? Yes. Um, people are not always going to be happy with you. Sometimes was I wrong? Yeah, I was. And I owned it. And I try to be better from it. You're going to make mistakes. I talked a little bit about, you know, you only think you know your team. You might go to baseball games and football games and basketball games with them off duty. And you might think, you know, the trials and tribulations that they're going through in their life. But it's truly only the tip of the iceberg. It it really, truly is. Always remember the people that helped you get to where you are, because most of them are not above you. Mm-hmm. Most of them are your peers or the people who have worked for you over time, who have championed you. Yeah, just it's be humble, listen a lot. Um, one of my favorite television shows of 20 years ago, and I rewatch them all the time because they're very inspiring to me, is The West Wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the statements in one of the shows, um, President Bartlett is talking to a movie producer who's giving him lots and lots of money. And President Bartlett Bartlett says, I am a human starting gun. When I open my mouth, it's off to the races. And as a leader, you're that person too. And I want to give a quick example. Mm -hmm. I came to Corvallis and I found some things that were unfamiliar to me um, for any one of a number of reasons. One of them was that we had on our chainsaws, the chain guards, right? The depth gauges so you don't cut through a rafter, right? I see your thumbs down. I know, me too. And I was like, what are we doing? So my first, at first I was like, get those things off the chains. It's ridiculous. Well, I forgot about process and I forgot about it respecting where the organization was before. So me and my counterpart who's responsible for the chainsaws, we had a discussion. I'm like, you're right. I'm wrong. Sorry about that. Well, it's come up again. And I was having a conversation with a crew 
And I was very careful to say, listen, I am in support of removing the chain guards. However, I am not the chief who makes that ultimate decision. There is a process to follow. The acting lieutenant in that station put in the station handoff for the next day. Chief Loomis said that we could take the chain guards off the chains. <laughs> and it started a whole other shitstorm, mm -hmm. right? So what did I do? I circled back with the acting lieutenant, very easy, on the bumper. Brother, you started a fire. Mm -hmm. That is not what I said. You know that's not what I said. Communication is important. So does that make me afraid from continuing to have conversations? No. Just remember that everybody's going to hear what they want to hear coming out of your mouth, yep. not exactly what you're saying coming out of your mouth. Yeah. So, unfortunately, you uh, as a closure to the story, we just had our operations meeting. We made sure that we've got some I's dotted and T's crossed, and next Wednesday they're coming off. So uh, there you two go. thumbs up. Yeah. And it takes it's sometimes it, you know, it takes patience, it takes understanding, yes. but it talks it's it, it, it's perspective, it's empathizing, right? Because yeah. you know, having those I know, I know we talked about this earlier, you know, having those knee-jerk reactions. Like we none of us truly, like you said, like so, do you know your crew or do you really is it just the tip of the iceberg? Sometimes if we don't intentionally, boom, there's the the, the ringer bill intentionally. One more time. Uh, we have a intentional ringer. Every time I say the word intentional, it's a ding ding. So we try Got to it. have not too many ding dings. Um, but you're right. We have to intentionally try to find out where people are coming from. You know, right. what, 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 do we really truly understand the why behind, you know, their action or their behavior? Or is it just what we think? Part of, part of empathizing and being a leader and being in a position to make decisions, and I learned this as a deputy chief a lot, is that, um, and it rang true with the story I just told you, is that sometimes when you make decisions, because it's a risk management decision for the organization or we want to follow a specific process, uh, the employees interpret that differently. The conversations I have with the employees about the chain guards had nothing to do with safety, had nothing to do with anything else. It was, why don't you trust us? Yeah. yeah why don't you trust us? And as we talk through that a little bit more, it's, the decisions that are made at an operations chief level, you know, chief max level or at a battalion level program level, again, back to the 50,000 shades, they're going to be interpreted differently. And as hard as it is for us to think that we need to justify or make a nexus between the issue and the decision we're making, we need to be doing that, especially for our newer generations of firefighters. They need, they really thrive on the why behind the what. Mm -hmm. And I've been more successful with not when we're taking the time to say, this is the decision we're making right now. These are the reasons why the timing will be better in six months or, you know, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a little bit of extra time, sure. but announcement prevention is worth a pound of cure. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's so true. You really brought up a good example, and I feel your pain, too, because I'm a very ops-centric chief, right? I mean, yep. I've been in operations for a long time. Um, I spent 30 years in a neighboring agency just next door. I spent, like, five years in training division doing, uh, you know, training in operations. And so when I came to East Pierce as the, as the deputy chief, um, you know, I had people coming up to me and of course I did the same thing. I wanted to take the chain guards off. I wanted to change the way we did command and control. I wanted to change tactical training and all this stuff. 
But I, you know, I had to sit and think, I go, wait a second. You know, I'm the deputy chief here. I have an assistant chief of operations. You know, I have an assistant chief of uh, EMS. I can't just come in and just cut them off and say, Hey, I'm now making decisions. Yes. And, and on the other side is I, you know, I've done a lot of labor work. I've been involved in later. I was on the state council of Washington state for many years. And so I have the same thing. I have members of my local coming to me and asking me labor questions. And I'm like, you know what? I I can't be involved in, I have an answer in my head, but I can't be involved in it. You have an executive board, you have a union president go to them. So it's really important to be able to not, you know, take away that you know your other people are in positions to make those decisions and sometimes it can be really hard and you need to stay in your lane because you're right the weight of what i say every email i send if i misspell something if i don't put in a comma if i say if, if it's a will or a shall or a may oh you know, my all, goodness all, all yes. those make different different uh connotations absolutely so so i do want to talk about every leader, every coach, you know, every organization, everyone in a kind of position of responsibility has non-negotiables, right? Yeah. And, I, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, I know mine, uh, Berlin knows his. Tell us a little bit about Chief Loomis. Like, what are your non-negotiables for your team, um, you know, that you work with? Yeah, well, my first one is failing the mission, right? I mean, and, I mean, that's the bottom line. And there's any one of a number of ways that that can happen. And, and I'll be, I'll be, you know, for the listeners out there, even as a leader, sometimes that's a little bit hard, right? Where, you know, one of the things that fire and EMS is dealing with across the nation is the houseless crisis. Right. And so when, you know, you're, you're responding on a call where you have the same individual um, who is, you know, urinating on you and defecating on you and screaming at you and demanding you treat them. It's easy to fall into that. Screw you, you know, that type of stuff, but they are in their worst. They've called because they want us to make it better, right? We need, we need to make it better. We need to be, we need to be delivering that tip of the spear mission-focused service every time. And if you're going to do something that's going to put that mission in jeopardy, I got a problem and we're going to have a conversation. Um, You know, one of the things I've had to manage myself, again, I talked a lot about being a a, a baby boomer more uh, than a Gen Xer, is um, there's a lot of times where there's... um, their self above service. Why do we have to go on this person and pick them up off their toilet seat? You know, why am I going on this mutual aid call 45 minutes away? Uh, those types of things. And I, it, it burns me, it burns me into my being. And I, those are, those are the ones that I have to check myself on. Those are the ones where I have to be like, okay, stop. Uh, you know, and I talked a little bit about before, before I want to be understood, I need to seek to understand, you know, seven habits of highly effective people, um, because there's something more. Um, but that that'll get me fired up pretty quick. And just don't bring discredit on the profession. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I always when I was a deputy chief um, and a training chief in California, um, I'd open up every academy. I'd be there the first day of every academy 
first day of every academy, setting expectations, talking about task, tactical, strategic. But one of the things I'd say, and I just get really granular, and I'd say it right here. Uh, I'll say it here, and you know that means Berlin. You might have to do some editing, but I would just say, ladies and gentlemen, if I see you driving around in your fancy pickup truck, towing your fancy boat with your fire department t-shirt on drinking beer and making a fool of yourself out there in the world, you will not make it to the end of probation, right? Everybody loves to do it. Right. And don't get me wrong. I was a young firefighter stickers on the car, firefighter plate. I'm going to wear my firefighter gear because it's just so cool. But what they miss is people going, wow, dude's got a firefighter shirt on. He's drinking beer and driving that boat. Right. Yeah. The perception yeah. that we give, it's a higher, it's a higher calling, everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a higher calling and you're held to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. And don't think that you can't be held accountable for off-duty behaviors that bring discredit to the badge. Yeah. Just well, don't it's, do even it. wor- it's even worse now with social media, right? And I don't want, this is yes. a whole conversation we can spend a lot of time on. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, before it was, it was just driving around on the boat with drinking the beer and who would see you now if it's posted a picture of you doing that you know, mm-hmm. i mean more people see you absolutely, with that. Mm-hmm. absolutely. well let's jump let's jump since we're there let's stay there so chief let's uh let's make it official this is the hot coffee time right every <laughs> yeah. uh, every podcast makes uh it becomes a good podcast when you talk about something semi-controversial we've had all kinds of hot topics here on the kitchen table and today is certainly going to be no different we just brushed the surface of social media you wanted to talk a little bit on social media as well as some ems emergency medical service stuff so let's go there let's first start off with the hot topic on social media in the fire service yeah so you know i follow i follow a lot of different social media stuff just um i don't post a lot you know i i want because it's easy to get misconstrued, right? Just like we talked about, but I'd like to see what's going on. I like to see what's happening. You know, there's some amazing stuff coming out of uh, Clackamas fire district with search culture, um, you know, firefighter rescue survey project mayday. There's some great, great information that's being shared in the profession. And I think it's wonderful. And I think it's a great use of social media, but I can't look at social media without seeing a video of some, some engineer driving a unit code three with one hand on the wheel and one hand on his phone videoing how cool it is to be driving down this two lane country road. It just makes me sick to my stomach. I resist the urge to post and say, you're really misrepresenting the profession. Uh, But those types of things, the, the social media, um, you know, I think the, the, the kind of like the fun, kind of some of the fun things that organizations do to promote us, I think are good things. I think it's reaching an audience. Um, but you just don't think about, you know, once you put it there, it lives there forever, forever. Mm-hmm. And um, God, I don't remember what organization it was back in the Midwest, upper Midwest, Ohio area, maybe Pennsylvania, it was a volunteer firefighter that um, uh, that had his shirt on and the dog was in the back of the truck and somebody took a picture and posted it to his department's mm. social media and said, hey, really good representation. What are you going to do about this? Mm-hmm. And the next day it was, that person's no longer associated with our organization. Mm. 
social media can be incredibly good for us, but individually, I think it, I think it really takes away from the values of the fire service, the values of the profession, um, and what we really stand for, which is it's, it's not, it's not here because the badge makes us cool. Yeah. We're the ones that make the badge. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the the stickers, the badge that the fire service is a representation of the fire service, right? So if a person has a so-and-so fire department shirt, the public doesn't necessarily know that fire department and that individual. It's a representation of the fire service as a whole. Exactly. Yeah. They see fire department. That's what they see. You You talked about rapidly deteriorating EMS nationwide. I want to, uh, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So think back to Johnny and Roy, right? 50 years ago, right? The, the first, the fire-based paramedicine and the need for emergency medical services in the field and how it's developed. And over the course of time, you can almost track it to where, oh, well, we already have these strategically placed firefighters throughout our cities and throughout our counties. Why not just ha- why not just task them with emergency medical services? Let's have them respond to these medical emergencies. Some agencies decided to do transport. My agency is one that does transport. We do transport for our entire county, 780 square miles. Mm. I've got places in our county where our two-person medic units with very young fire medics on them, um, sometimes their response time to get to the call is at least an hour. Mm. And then obviously transport time back and all of those things. But back then, I don't think anybody was able to truly anticipate. And I, I talked about EMS because that's our role, but just healthcare in general mm-hmm. and how how it's impactful. So now it's anywhere from 65 to 85% of what we do. Um, lots of agencies now rely on the money that EMS brings in, whether it's transport and GEMT, first responder fees, subscription fees, whatever the case is. Um, but at the same time, I could have one engine available in my system because everybody else is running an ambulance somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's drastically overtaking our mission of rescuing human beings out of fires, which mm-hmm. doesn't happen every day, but we know that it is happening every day across the nation. Mm-hmm. Just the other day when this, you know, kind of cold snap came through the Pacific Northwest, right? Snow in Portland, people trapped on the highways for five hours. Both of our two person medic units got called to do two hour transports from Corvallis up to downtown uh, Portland to various hospitals. And we're like, Really, the the person can't wait until there's not icy, snowy freeways everywhere. It's bad enough that they have to be in the back of an ambulance for two hours, rocking and rolling and all these things. Now we've got to take them through snow and ice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just all of those components, I think, are just drowning out and just o- taking over completely um, the the fire service in general. And mm-hmm. I, 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 I see it rapidly getting to a point where almost having to carve EMS back out of a number of agencies, whether it's private, whether, whether it's mm-hmm. public, whether it's public-private partnership, whatever the case is. But the other thing that it does is it contributes to burnout, mm-hmm. right? And burnout then translates into what? It translates to risk to the organization. So you get a paramedic who's 
you know, worked four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven calls in a row. It's three o'clock in the morning. They go on that one call and and they decide to exercise, you know, some of their flexibility as a paramedic. Say, so, you know, this really probably isn't something that we need to deal with at three o'clock this morning. But first thing in the morning, you need to go to your doctor. And then two hours later, that person has the big one. Mm-hmm. And now the organization has has accepted a significant amount of liability. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, hey, everybody out there listening, part part of being a leader is being a risk manager too. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but it's true. It's true. Uh, so, putting some putting some real minds together and really talking about how we make this work um, for the people—that's mm-hmm. who we're here to serve. For yeah, the people. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and and then, and I know it's being talked about in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the end result is going to be, but just from a, I don't want to say an outsider's perspective, but for somebody who manages fire and EMS assets, um, I have lots of ho- ambulances that sit at the hospital for a long time because mm-hmm. they've got one hour, two hour wall times. Mm-hmm. Um, we're fortunate that our community is small enough that we have a great relationship with our hospital. Our EMS chief is is just so good at what he does relationship-wise that he's able to work through and come up with creative solutions, which is great. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of places that they just can't. I mean, look at big metro systems where you know, yeah. there's people waiting 30 minutes to get an ambulance on a high-acuity call. It's just... Yeah. Something's going to change, and unfortunately, we work in a profession with and deal with the law of catastrophic change. Mm-hmm. And, so and, and and you're and you're right, Chief. That you know, obviously, both of us have been in the fire service long enough. We've seen, you know, we grabbed on to EMS work as fire agencies. You know, it yep. was something that Berlin knows my history that I arbitrated in Washington State to be able to do transports as fire departments, and it yep. is our work. You know, and we were always worried that private ambulances were going to take over that work, so we grabbed onto it and did it. I now work for an agency that has paramedics, and we do the same thing. We're not nearly as big as you as far as square miles. You know, we're about 155 square miles, but we also have paramedic units that are at, you know, they're out on calls. 50% 50% of the time that they're on duty kind of yep. stuff, you know, we're have that unit hour utilization really high. So I, I, I feel your pain there. I do think that fire departments have to have that conversation. We've ignored EMS. A lot of us as leaders have ignored yeah. it and said, Hey, yeah. we just want to do the fire side, the sexy part, the provocative part of our job. We're going to train it in the academies and we're going to do most of our training on, on fire suppression and fire. Um, and we do very little. A couple of things that's happening up here is obviously mobile integrated health and community yep. paramedicine. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's going on in Oregon. You know, our department now has a whole division that does that. Um, and I think that's probably where we need to lean. I agree. Um, you know, we've had legislation changes that have handcuffed our policing. So mm-hmm. now we're involved in a lot more that end where we never were involved with, with a lot of our mental health stuff. So I think that's where we need to have some leadership change and focus is, is in that area. So mm-hmm. I, I like the fact that you brought this up and you're right that it is definitely a hot coffee, coffee topic to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that reimagining EMS? We we invited it in, um, yeah, right? Yeah. Really, and now it's like, what are we going to do with it? And we yeah. have to reimagine it. We can't ignore it. 
It's yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. Well, let's go here. Uh, this is rapid fire coffee top off. So what this is, one of my favorite parts of this is because Chief Loomis, uh, we get to ask you to give some actionable items for our listeners to literally start doing today to grow as leaders. So we ask you to talk to three different groups of individuals. The first group would be that newer employee. Um, this could be, you know, a rookie firefighter, an apprentice, uh, someone maybe thinking about taking a step into a promoted role, something like that. Give an action item for those individuals to start doing literally today when this episode ends to start growing themselves as leaders. Yeah. So I think the first thing is um, relationships are everything. Okay. Invest in your relationships, nurture your relationships, and don't just do it with your crew. Okay. Um, it's, it's good to do it with your crew. Make sure you do it with your other crews that relieve you or you relieve them. Make sure you're doing it with your chiefs. Make sure you're doing it outside the walls of your organization. Take mm-hmm. the time to, to really understand how others work and how you work. You know, a lot of people listening to this are going to be, um, members of a local, right? And there's always that divide between, um, the labor and the management or city hall or the board or the council or something along those lines. Prevent that from happening by having the relationship now, right? Mm-hmm. Having that, having that talk, having that honest communication. And, and as you build and nurture those things, the trust comes. And then when the trust comes, that's the, what are they trying to get by me? That goes mm-hmm. away. And yeah. it's more about, yeah, this person's got some credibility and, you know, we, we need to, we need to hear what they have to say. Yeah. No, I love that. We talk about that every single episode, the importance of building relationships inside and outside our organizations. So that's, it's key. It's just reiteration. I love it. Yeah. Um, how about an action item for that either newer supervisor, newer company officer, a newly promoted individual, an aspiring, you know, company officer or uh, an aspiring new emerging leader? Yep. What's something that they could do today to start growing? Uh, be the leader. Um, and the mentor that you wish you had coming up, be that person. The other thing is listen a lot. And I want to give you a quick little example uh, of that. So I was a captain in Salinas. I was working at headquarters. Um, most of my firefighters, it was a weird situation. I got promoted on a Tuesday, Thursday. I was assigned to the fire station that I was a firefighter at on Tuesday. And now I was a captain with, um, the firefighters uh, total years of service was like 115. Right. And I'm here. I am a five-year kid getting promoted to captain, but we're sitting around the coffee table one day and we had a community dorm, right. We call it general population or gen pop. Right. Which I, which were great fire services. Cause I, I remember having some of the best times laughing, you know, in those open dorms. Right. Mm-hmm. But we also had general population pillows. And so you can imagine everybody sharing pillows and chief shaking his head. He remembers, you know, that type of stuff. So didn't say a word, but the day I went off duty, I ran over to Costco and I picked up brand new pillows for everybody and I brought them back and I just, I put everybody's name on the tag, right? The tag that says, don't remove this. Otherwise you're going to jail. Right. And, um, I just labeled it everybody and at coffee break, I brought them out and gave them to everybody. And they're like, what's this? I'm like, well, the other day, you guys are saying that the pillows in the dorm are kind of crappy and they were, they were bad. Mm-hmm. And I said, you guys deserve better pillows and I don't need to go through a budget process for this. I'm just going to drop 50 bucks on pillows. And I had senior firefighters pull me aside and say, I've never had a captain in this organization 
listen to a concern and act on it like you did. Um, awesome. So yeah, listen a lot. And um, I kind of call it some leadership capital and that's not my term. I've heard it from others, but I anticipate spending, you know, now I'm a chief, right? I make a little bit more money than some of you captains out there. It's a, it's okay. But I probably expend somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 a year on little things for the mm-hmm. troops. You know, I ask them to step out of the, out of the, uh, out of the box a little bit and do something special. I'll grab them all a little $5 Dutch brothers gift card mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. I hand write Christmas cards to every member on my crew. Um, and I acknowledge something specifically about them in those Christmas cards yeah. because they're important to me. They're important to me as human beings, much less as my crew. So yeah. listen a lot. Oh, I was just going to say that that's, those are great examples because you know, it goes so far with your crew and with, with your team when you do little things like that. Sure, it costs you $50 at Costco, but think about the, the capital that you got from that. Absolutely. You know, I've had the same similar situations. You know, you have someone do Firewatch, and I went and bought burrito, breakfast burritos. There you go. You know, it cost me 20 bucks to buy breakfast burritos and coffee for my guys, and I... Um, you know, one day I made the mistake of putting it on my department card because I'm like, Hey, we'll see what the, you know, what the big chief, the five bugle says about this. And he comes back to me and says, Hey, you got to write a purchase order request and go to finance and find a budget item, not, not lying for this. And I looked at him and I just said, you know what? I went to finance and I paid them 20 bucks for the receipt and said, Hey, I'll just pay for this out of my own pocket. And I never asked for it again because the process of being nice and taking care of my crew and doing the right thing was so hard. I was like, you yep. know what? It's not worth it for me for a $20, you know, three breakfast burritos and some coffee, you know, it really yeah. wasn't worth it. So I love the fact that there's some courage in there. There's some, some creativity in there, but it goes a long ways um, with your, with you, with your crew. Yeah, yeah, and for and for the listeners, for what Chief Mac is saying too, uh, for you chief officers that aren't line chief officers, you know, division chiefs, staff chiefs, assistant chiefs, deputy chiefs, when you got a company like that that you had to task them a fire watch all night because you got to investigate the fire the next day or whatever, uh, chiefs that are spend a lot of time in the office, being by nature of your assignment, when when you show up at three or four in the morning, when when the four bugles and the three bugles show up you know, from home at three, four o'clock in the morning, even if it's just to shake a hand and say, Hey, brothers and sisters, great job. No, you're working hard. You know, you pick up the donuts from the Seven Eleven or the coffee or the burritos or whatever that, that even, that even translates more, you know, than mm-hmm. that it's, that it's all levels of the organization that are recognizing that they're doing a tough job. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing an incredibly tough job and, and we mean what we say when we say we care about them. And we want them to be happy and we want them to be safe. And we're going to experience the same things they experience. So mm-hmm. kudos to you, Chief, for doing that. Yeah, yeah. you should see the looks. We had a fire a few months ago that I had I had only been, been here about a year at East Pierce. And, you know, they needed a hydrant. They had to go across this two-lane uh, highway. And here is uh, Chief Mack pulling their line for them. Yes. And they're like, oh, my God, we've never seen this. Everyone's <laughs> taking pictures. I'm like, what are you doing? It helps get me from behind my desk, you know, and I'm totally. out there at, at 11 o'clock at night helping them take a hydrant. And they were, yeah, secretly, I loved it. Um, yeah, I, you I, did. I won't tell you them did. that. I did. <laughs> hey, no doubt. I'll, I'll no tell doubt all the guys here you did that, Bill. I'd be proud <laughs> yeah, of you. Now, the little sure. things do matter, right? The little things matter 
more than the big things because there's so many more little things that can be done. So that's awesome. I love yeah. it. And finally, I mean, as we sit and we talk about what um, senior leaders and chief officers can do, how about an action item for the senior members of organizations, established leaders, could be chief officers or above, council members, you know, any any one of that, that level or higher. What's one thing those individuals could do to grow their leadership arsenal? I think that's the perfect transition from what Chief Mack just said, and that is, please don't forget where you came from, right? We all were firefighters one day. We're all probie firefighters one day. Um, struggling with you know turnouts and learning how to wrap plugs and pull hose and everything else and and so just always remember that get out from behind the desk even if you got to build it into your calendar I get it I've I've sat in the deputy role I was an interim fire chief for a while um, it's tough and you know, but build it into your calendar the the response that you'll get the really staying in touch with as a shift BC I, I'll I will be a first responder to an EMS call. Mm-hmm. Now, it drives my fire medics crazy, especially the young ones, because they get all nervous. Oh, my God, the chief's here. It's like, I'm just another EMT. Here's my here's my assessment. I'm stepping out of the way now. You need me to flood a line, I'll flood a line. You need me to get the gurney, I'll get a gurney. But, you know, boots on the ground, chief. And, you know, the other thing is, I, I'm, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I, I really am a believer in the difference between significance and success. You know, I've been incredibly successful in my career with assignments, with crews, with opportunities, uh, a beautiful wife, kids, family, the whole bit. My, my life has been incredibly successful, but I really try strive to be significant, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the reason for that is that, you know, success, success lasts your lifetime, but significance, and this isn't for me, right? This is from, you know, the author Maxwell, who I really yeah. like his books, right? Significance lasts for generations. As we transition out in Berlin, you promote to battalion chief, division chief, deputy chief, fire chief, and then you move on. The stuff that you do today, and I see Chief Mack putting up two thumbs because Berlin's thinking, nope, I'm happy where I'm at. No, dude, you're you're rising through the ranks. I can tell already. When you move on, there's going to be captains and engineers and firefighters at the table that are going to say, hey, we had a chief here named Maza, and he showed up at 3 o'clock in the morning and helped us load hose. And we had Chief Mack who came out and humped 200 feet of 5-inch across the street and wrapped a plug. That's being significant. You know, that's that's – and that's where when we have those crucial conversations and we constantly praise for good because there's so much good than bad that happens – we always focus on bad, but there's so much good that happens. Focusing on the good and constantly reaffirming and teaching and mentoring and coaching and being that positive influence, being a shoulder to cry on, any of those mm-hmm. things, that is going to live with that person for the rest of their life. Oh, and I that's, love it. I that's love what it. it's about. Yeah. That's what leadership is about. Yeah. Success is planning the tree. There you Significance go. is the shade it provides. There, there you, go. you go. That's that's great. That's, uh, that's that. back to uh, to episode one. A little throwback to our nice. uh, our our pilot episode here, and uh, I'll need to do two edits here. Number one, Chief Pull uh, wrapping the plug. He doesn't want his people to say that, and Maza uh, <laughs> being a chief one day. So we'll do some edits later before we get this out to the. Uh, <laughs> no, but this is awesome. Thank you so much, Chief. So yeah. of course, with this. Um, the whole reason we're here today with Chief Loomis is from this leadership challenge, right? I mean, we've mentioned relationships, 
We mentioned, you know, networking outside our organizations. We, we, I mean, we've, you know, we've gone, you know, 50,000 shades and we can go 100,000 if we had the time. Out of respect, we won't. But maybe we can have Chief Loomis on a future episode again, because uh, I think we've only, again, hit the tip of the iceberg with our conversation today. Yeah. But uh, but let's uh, let's do this. Let's go with a, a further leadership challenge. You are our first individual to, to accept our challenge. So that means we have yet to have someone to accept accept a second generation challenge. Yeah. So why don't we do this? Our leadership challenge is uh, reaching out to someone of significance to you, Chief Loomis, that you believe would love to share a story, a philosophy, and experience on leadership for our listeners to resonate with. So I'll ask. Is there an individual or two or three out there that you believe can uh, would love to share a story on the kitchen table? Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, one of them is uh, Deputy Fire Chief Al Poyer, uh, Beverly Hills Fire Department in California. Um, he's a retired uh, Los Angeles Fire Department Chief Deputy. I recently retired and moved over to Beverly Hills. And I met Al through trainfirefighters.com. And um just the the amount of awe and respect that I have for him and his his analysis and his um, his intelligence and the way he approaches people, the way he talks, the way he um, he is a grandfather, uh, but he's also very grandfatherly. Mm-hmm. When you have conversations, it's just and and I've always had I've always held LAFD in such high admiration. It was just. It, to be able to say that he is a mentor and a friend is, is just beyond for me. So awesome. um, He's one. Another one is uh, fire chief Gabe Ben Musa. Um, He's in Milton, Georgia. Um, I met him when I came to work in Salem and uh, the man talks seven different languages fluently. Um, His, his strategic thought is just amazingly over the top and he went down to Milton and took an organization that was maybe having some rough times and really er early on gained the loyalty of the firefighters um, and the staff earned the respect of the city manager right off the bat was a good bridging gap there Uh, does a lot of stuff internationally Um, he's been doing some consulting internationally so just I think he'd be another great one and then thank you this the third person is somebody that I've never met um, but I follow her on social media. Uh, her name is Kate McHugh. Um, she is the first American cruise ship captain in history, female cruise ship captain in history. Um, she's on the Celebrity Beyond. Um, and I follow her on a number of social medias. And the the leadership that she provides to her crew and to her five or 6,000 guests on her ship every time um, makes me want to work for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally like, okay, if I, when I retire from the fire service, I wonder if I can go work on her ship. I'd, I'd sweep the floors. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. The, the, the energy and the passion and everything. And a number of her videos, you'll see where they're cruising. I think she's stationed there over in the Mediterranean. Now they're cruising along on a cruise with, you know, their passengers and crew. And in two, within a week, they found two floating, um, uh, adrift uh, boats that you know had mechanical problems or what have you. So she maneuvers her ship 180 degrees, positions it, holds it in place. She deploys her own rescue crews to go out and get the people off. They get them into medical care on the ship. So just a um, just strikes me as somebody very similar to us, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, seeing the need, addressing the need with such a big and complex operation, basically a city at sea. So wow. I'd love to hear her perspectives on leadership. Wow. Um, well, that's, uh, that, that is awesome. Maybe what we'll do is, uh, 
I guess I got two asks here. Number one is, uh, well, number I guess three. Number one is I'll we'll gather these these uh, emails or contact informations if you have them for Deputy Chief Al Poyer, Fire Chief Gabe uh, Ben Musa, and uh, Kate McHugh, cruise ship captain. But I guess I see two things. Number one is maybe uh, we can all try to find a way to you know, reach out to Kate McHugh to see if she'd be willing to do a leadership podcast in the fire service, obviously with her not being in the fire service. But then also one thing that I see here is uh, maybe I see a further conversation with the trained firefighters team doing a team podcast. Maybe that's how we, we recapture yeah. you and Chief Castro is doing another episode with Bill and I. That'd be, I see that as well. I don't know. Bill, what do you think? I love it. Yeah. So why don't we do this? Leaders lasting leadership thoughts. So Chief Loomis, thank you for your perspectives. Is there anything you'd like to share uh, before we officially close the kitchen table today? Uh, well, I think first it's just uh, thank you, brothers, both of you, for what you're doing for leadership in the fire service. is so amazing. Um, thank you for um, accepting me in the challenge and letting me be on here. Uh, the, uh, you're just reaffirming for people that leadership is dynamic. Leadership changes sometimes minute by minute, sometimes second by second, whether it's fire ground leadership, EMS leadership, leadership in the fire station, leadership in your community, leadership to yourself. Um, it's mm-hmm. easy to put yourself way or put others way in front of you. I'm guilty of that. So making sure that you're finding your balance also. Um, and sometimes, sometimes the best thing to do is to maybe disengage and ask somebody else to take it from a different angle. You might be too close. It might be too personal. It might be a trigger for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so having the emotional intelligence to understand where you are personally, where you are professionally, what your triggers are, and don't be afraid to ask for help when you're, mm-hmm. when you're addressing, when you're addressing human um, aspects of communication and leadership, there's very, very few times in the non-emergency environment where you have to make an instantaneous decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take, so take a few minutes and analyze it, understand its complexities, make sure that you're respecting your personnel's um, rights. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. If you're talking about discipline related issues um, and just as a human being, just yeah. make sure that you are are respecting their needs and understanding their needs, but that you're getting the point across and know that you're going to make mistakes recover from them, learn from them, be better from them. Um, and then um, this is, I, I've, I've long said this, that so we talked about the firefighter survival group. There's two of the most dangerous places in the fire service. In my experience, one is a residential garage fire. And the second one, uh, not this particular uh, podcast, but the fire station kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen marriages begin and end at the kitchen table. I've seen careers end at the kitchen table. I've seen um, long damaging comments be made at the kitchen table that have long lasting impacts organizationally and personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where strong leaders can intervene and say, no, nah, we're not talking about that. Nope. Yeah. We're not doing that. That's, that's the hard part of leadership. So oh, I love, wow. What a way to, uh, to close the kitchen table. Cause I thought that was uh so pertinent, so relevant, so true, and everything you just said over the last 
hour and a half, let alone the last two minutes. Because uh, the the basis on this, when we were when Bill and I were coming up trying to think of the name, we had a couple names, and then it was about you know kitchen table. Well, so why the kitchen table? Because every conversation is had at the kitchen table, good or bad. That's right. And so uh, we wanted to direct and redirect what the kitchen table meant and to focus that energy to talking leadership. So I will ask this, and maybe this will be too revealing, but what is next for Chief Loomis and or trainfirefighters.com? How do we find you guys? Yeah, so trainfirefighters.com, that's our website. You can email us, info at trainfirefighters.com. We are are moving and shaking with uh, Calm the Chaos. I'm actually going to be in Redmond, uh, Washington next week with Chief Cashos doing Battalion Chief Academy. Hmm. I know that. The um, we've got our Calm the Chaos Train the Trainer that's happening all over the nation. Uh, we've been so blessed that AFG has uh, started funding those. Um, very successful. I think our next six or seven or eight that we have on the calendar are all AFG funded, which is amazing. What's Brett next for BC Brett Loomis? You know, I get asked that by Mrs. Loomis a lot. That's right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I actually don't know. I'm I'm happy with what I'm doing. I'm excited to be a part of uh, Corvallis Fire Department and helping our organization grow and, and change and and looking at new cultures. Um, not sure what the future lies, but I'm going to be with trained firefighters for a long time, and I'm going to be with Corvallis for quite a while longer as well. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you for what you do uh, because you've impacted a lot and uh, obviously impacting uh, several hundred, if not thousands, more to come. Bill, lasting thoughts. And I am so thankful for Chief Loomis to be here. You know, I, I always think of uh, this leadership conversation as, you know, kind of like a 12 lead looking at the heart, you know, if the heart's, it, it heart's that leader. Um, you have to take multiple angles to find problems. You have to look at it from multiple angles to find solutions. And I think that just having another person who's been there and has done it and has had so many successes and admittedly some failures yep. along the way that made him yep. better. Um, really helps that conversation and lets us know that there are people out there and that you can keep on pushing, that you can keep, you know, being uncomfortable, that you're going to have stumbles, but there's recovery from that, you know. So Absolutely. thank you again for being yeah. here. Yeah. Thank you very, um, much, very much. So thank you everybody for tuning in today to the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable. We hope that we've inspired you to take action and to lead but also to continue to spread this leadership conversation, both at the fire stations, outside the fire stations, and as far as you can take it. Until next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious.